1 Samuel 17, verse 32, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. Come on, somebody. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor, with Saul's armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I've not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. I love me some David and Goliath. I know you've heard this, and I know it's so familiar with you, but how many of you believe that the Holy Spirit has right now rhema revelation that he can bring to you in the midst of a story that you've probably heard 10 dozen times since you were six years old. There is a word in this for us this morning. Matter of fact, there's a couple of different places where I, I believe the Lord's gonna highlight something, but there's a very specific word that I believe that God's going to use to set both the young and the old free from something that's been holding you back from killing your Goliath. Because I believe this, if you're living in the will of God, there are Goliaths that are taunting you. There are voices that are coming against you. That are for, there are forces that in your own strength, when you look at them and their own strength, and you look at you and your own strength, you're thinking, I don't know how I can win this thing. But I'm here to remind you today that as David wasn't going out in his own strength, neither are you. There is a greater strength available, and that's the one who lives inside of you. And so let's talk about this no more hand-me-down armor thing. And I want to talk to you and remind you of the armor of God that we're supposed to wear. In Ephesians chapter 6, we are called to put on the whole armor of God. It is not a physical armor. It's not made of bronze or iron or metal or any material substance. This is a spiritual armor that God commands us to be walking in every single day. And the reason why is because the Lord knows something that a lot of Christians don't know. What is it? That warfare is not optional. That it doesn't matter if you're not up for the fight, you're in the fight. It doesn't matter if you're trying to, to keep peace. My friend, when you got saved, you got enlisted. You showed up, on when you rose up off your knees with the blood of Jesus covering you, that wasn't the only thing that was placed on you. A bullseye was placed on you too because you suddenly took up arms in the army of God against the enemy. So whether or not you want to fight him, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you this, he's fighting you. He's coming hard and fast, and he never takes the day off, and we've got to be equipped. And the only way we can be equipped is to stay aware of how to fight our battles in the Spirit. 
So let's look at this through the life of David. Verses 31 through 40, the verses I just read, we're going to see what it looks like for David to wear the breastplate of righteousness. David is a, an unalloyed soul. He is uncontaminated. He is blameless. He is a, a beautiful picture of how we're supposed to walk as children of God. Remember, he's the youngest on the battlefield. He is the least qualified to, to fight and defeat Goliath, but is the only one with courage. And so we see his righteous commitment in verses 31, 32, and 33. This is the way it reads. When the words that David spoke were heard, so David was saying, I'm going to kill this Philistine if somebody will let me at him. The soldiers repeated those words before Saul, and Saul sent for David. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant, David speaking of himself, your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And look at what Saul says. You've got a Saul in your life, by the way. Saul said to David, you're not able to do this. You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Now, follow me here. Y'all stay locked in on this thing. So, remember the scene as I described it earlier. It's a faithless scene, and Saul has been for 40 days stewing in the sour juices of his own unbelief. He has soiled himself spiritually, and when David shows up on the scene, perfectly clean, full of faith. David's only been on the scene an hour and he's heard Goliath running his mouth and he sees nobody doing anything about it and David has just this kind of mindset. He doesn't know military protocol. He doesn't know about honoring anybody. He's showing up on the scene and simply by wanting to go and kill the loudmouth pagan Philistine, David uh, kind of invites all sorts of misunderstanding upon himself. So he finally gets in there with Saul, and he says, Saul, you don't have to worry about a thing anymore. Saul, king, I heard it's been 40 days. Let me tell you something. It won't be 41 if you just let me go down there and take care of some business. So David's full of faith. He's wearing the breastplate of righteousness. He has an absolutely righteous commitment that as a child of God, as an heir of the covenant with God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, David knows that he has the favor of God on him and that this Philistine who's a pagan who bows down to other false gods should have no confidence. And David says, just get out of the way. Let me take care of business. And Saul says this. David says, I am able. Saul says, you're not able. David says, let me at him. Saul says, you're not qualified. David says, I'll go down there and tear into him. And Saul says, you're just a kid, and he's been in warfare since he was your age. So that's what happens, by the way. When you, when you move out of fellowship with God, like Saul did, all you see is the obstacles. All you see is the natural. All you see is the why it can't be done. And soon, because you all that's coursing within you is unbelief, when you open up your mouth, it's, it is a vomiting of unbelief. And that's all Saul had to offer. Here it is 40 days into a battle that wasn't a battle, and finally one soldier in the entire army, he's not even in the army, but one individual in Israel comes up and says, I'll be glad to take a swing at him. And Saul, the only thing Saul can say is, no, you're doomed. A quick word to those of you who have the spirit of David. You will be countered regularly by the spirit of Saul. There will be people in your life that will always tell you why you can't. 
There will be people in your life who will give you case studies. They'll give you data. They'll give you information. Sometimes they give you twisted scripture and tell you why you can't do what God has called you to do. Amen, ladies? That happens all the time. And here's the thing. It's a test for those with the spirit of David because Saul's the king. Saul's a warrior. Saul is the biggest, baddest dude, at least physically, in all of Israel. And he's the authority in Israel on warfare. warfare. And he looks at David. He says, David, I, I, I get it, man. Uh, you know, I appreciate it, young fella. But let me tell you why you can't win. Now, I love this about David because he's not only got a righteous commitment, he's got righteous convictions. Look at what he does. David doesn't, you know, start sucking his thumb and pouting and feel like nobody affirmed me. You could have at least hugged me. I didn't get a hug today. I could have used a hug. He, he didn't melt. But David said to Saul, so let me tell you a little bit about my testimony. Your servant used to keep the sheep for his father, and when there came a lion, a bear, and he took a lamb out of the flock, I went after him, and I struck him, and I, I delivered that little lamb out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Now, now, Saul, you need to know this. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. And let me tell you why. Because he's defying God's armies. And he says in verse 37, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. This is what I love about David. Um, Saul was giving him very unspecified reasons why David couldn't go down there and beat the Philistine and David's like just guileless humble but he's still not relenting he goes oh maybe I should have said this I kill bears and lions Saul there's been some bears and lions when they come and try to steal some of my earthly father's property when they come up to take what belongs to us I just I just kill them now, friends, don't, don't let that go by you. David's not making up stuff. I'm just going to ask you, has anybody in the room killed a lion or bear with their hands? No, but the kid in the youth group did. And what, let me tell you what he learned. He learned in the killing of the lion and bears when he was serving his earthly father, he learned that he had a supernatural power. That when the Spirit of God rushed on him after his anointing, it brought with him a power that was able to overcome the obstacles that came against him. And so David had learned some things. He had some history with God. And the deal was this. David wasn't worried about Goliath being bigger than the lion and the bear because he knew something. He knew that Goliath wasn't bigger than God. And so David looked at the obstacle and his basic mindset was, well, if it's smaller than God, I can win. And since he's smaller than God, I'm going to win. You see, we've got to develop some convictions when it comes to warfare. Everybody in the room wants to win. There's nobody in the room. You may not know what you're supposed to win in, but you know if, if the Lord comes to you and says, you want to win or you want to lose today, you're not going to say, well, it depends on what we're talking about. You're going to say, I want to win because we do not like to lose. And when it comes to warfare, you want to win. When it comes to your life, you want to win. When it comes to the things that oppose you, you don't want to be the victim. You want to be the victor. But there is a right way and a wrong way to go about pursuing a victory. And David's going to show for us that we need to bring along with us when we're battled, when we're being fought against, when we're being oppressed, when we're being ignored, when we're being rejected, when we're being mocked or ridiculed. 
we're being misunderstood or when we are straight up being fought against and it's tooth and nail, the fight for our life or the fight for our children or the fight for our families. We need to come to that place where we say, oh, I've got some history with God that my opponent doesn't have. I've got, I've got some tales to tell about how God came through in the past. And because my God was bigger than those enemies, I won. And because he's bigger than my current opposition, I don't plan on leaving the battlefield with my tail tucked between my legs or waving a white flag of surrender. I've come to take the head off of a Goliath. And so he brought with him some convictions. A lot of people don't want to fight because they're not living in conviction. That you're listening to all of the, the nonsense, both in the world and in certain segments of the church, that, that actually are lending themselves, all of the streams of information are lending themselves to Christians kind of retreating, trying to apologizing. Oh, we're sorry we're Christians. We're just Jesus followers. If you leave us alone, we'll leave you alone. That's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not be polite and hope they leave you alone. The Great Commission is to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ and destroy the works of the devil and bring forth the word of life. So David was able to do his part, and he says to Saul, this is what, what my history is. And then we get down into verses 37, 40, and I don't know how Saul said this because the original language had no punctuation. In the ESV, there's an exclamation point where Saul says, go, and it sounds like it's, go, and the Lord be with you. I kind of doubt that. I don't, I don't believe that's the way it was for Saul because Saul didn't have any faith. I think it's this. He just told David David was going to lose. He's probably like, go, <laughs> and the Lord be with you because, buddy, you're going to need him, which David already knew. Now, here's the part I want to get to or at least one of the parts. It says there, then Saul clothed David with his armor. And here's the armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a, a vest or a coat of mail. It would have been a metal, uh, would look like roof shingles, but metal, and it was just a protective coat on David's upper body. And David strapped his Saul's sword over his armor. And then it says this, he tried in vain to go. He, without results, David tried to set out towards Goliath because he hadn't tested these pieces of armor. Then David did probably one of the most courageous things he does in this whole passage. He says to the king, I cannot go with these. I've not tested them. And then right in front of Saul, David puts off the armor. Verse 40 says he took his staff in his hand he chooses five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's pouch. By the way, he'd go home with four of those stones. He only needed one. And his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Let's, let's camp here for a minute. This is where the Christian needs discernment. This is where you and I need discernment right here today in the midst of whatever we're battling. We are to wear the armor of God, and the armor of God is always put on by faith though the pieces are given to us in Ephesians 6 and I don't have time to go there this morning but they're all there for you um, and they look differently on you than they will on me but it's the same pieces and basically what you find out in Ephesians 6 is that God wants to be your covering comprehensively he wants to exhaustively cover you. He wants to be on, in front of you, behind you, around you, inside you, over you, below you. He just wants you to be safe and covered in him. But I'm going to tell you something. 
everything outside of you offers you its own version of Saul's armor for you to put on. What am I talking about? Well, in the natural here, Saul's just doing what he does. If David's going to go out on the battlefield, he needs some armor because that's the way they fought their battles. What we forget is that Saul is described earlier in Scripture as being the tallest, the largest man in all of Israel. David is a 16-year-old that's described a little bit like kind of scrawny. Goliath actually calls him that here in a few minutes. So you've got, you've got uh, Shaquille O'Neal and you've got Mo- Mogsy Bugs. Y'all remember them? For you that were born in the 2000s, that illustration's lost on you, but for the old people. You've got a massive guy and a small guy. And so what Saul does, Saul says, oh man, let me hook you up with my armor. And so he takes, Saul takes Saul's helmet, puts it on David's head. It would have been all cockeyed, sitting like that. David would have to do that to get it to him, then it's over this way. Wouldn't have fit him. And then he puts Saul's coat of mail on, which is the upper body protection. And that thing would have weighed David down. It would have looked like a, you know, a miniskirt. It would have gone from his shoulders all the way down to his knees. And then David is given Saul's sword that he's got to drag. So I want you to get this. David's standing there for a moment, and he's trying to obey the king. And I guarantee you, as soon as that stuff starts hitting David, it's like, man, this ain't me. This is not how I fight my battles. But he's the king. Let me honor this. And maybe there's some wisdom in it. I don't want to appear to be presumptuous. Maybe this is the Lord trying to protect me in ways I don't know I need to be protected. And so David allows Saul to put the armor on. And then David tries to leave. And that stuff's weighing him down. It's pulling him. He can barely lift the sword. The helmet's skewing over this way. And and David stops. And he turns around and he says in total humility, I I can't fight this way. I I can't fight like you fight, Saul. I can't put your armor on me because God's not designed me to wear your armor. God's taught me to fight a completely different way. Now listen, I I I want you to think about this. This is not necessarily even an issue of evil armor versus righteous armor. This is just, in my opinion, this two different ways to approach the battle. And this is how it works. You're approaching an opponent, whether it's human, whether it's in the spirit, whether it's circumstantial, whether it's in your body, whatever it might be, there is a natural way to fight that fight. It's reasonable. It's logical, it's accessible, and it's encouraged by others. And as a matter of fact, it sometimes works when others put on that armor. And so your mind, your eyes, your ears, what you see, what you hear, what you think, all of a sudden it's saying, well, I have seen people win that way. Maybe that's the way I'm supposed to fight. And then all of a sudden, when you start trying to fight your battle in a way that is different to the way God's wired you, and you're trying to fight it the way somebody else fights it, you start feeling uncomfortable. You start feeling like, man, I am trusting in Saul's armor. I'm not trusting in the Spirit of God. 
I'm not trusting in the things that I have trusted in up to this point. I'm starting to lean to my own understanding. I'm starting to listen to the foolish counsel of Ahithophel. I am starting to, starting to incorporate some things that I've never tested. I don't have a track record with them. I, when I killed the lion and the bear, I didn't have a helmet. I didn't have a sword. I didn't have a shield. I didn't have a coat of mail. All I had was my bare hands and an anointing, and I, I don't know that I can fight this way. And so he looks at Saul, and he says, I've got to take this stuff off of me. Friends, there's something both thrilling and terrifying when you say no to the things in the natural that promise to protect you. When you say, I'm not going to trust in this, although, oh man, it might make me feel secure. It might make me feel safe. It might make me look wise to other people, but man, in my heart, I know I've not proven these things. I can't go into this battle wearing something I'm not designed to wear. And so it's a thrilling and terrifying moment when you say no to these things that the world or the culture or the flesh promises will get you through your battle. And you have to say, I just can't go there with good conscience. I want to give a, a quick word of exhortation to all of us. Don't just see yourself in David's position in what I just described. Sometimes we're the one insisting somebody wear Saul's armor. Parents do it to children. Spouses do it to one another. Pastors do it to church members. Church members do it to pastors. Sometimes we say, hey, we kind of like armor. Armor is secure. Armor is accessible. Armor is a proven thing. It wins battles all the time. And sometimes that armor is not meant for the person we're telling to put it on. And we're telling our kids or the one we're mentoring or maybe some up-and-coming person in the kingdom that we see has an anointing, and all of a sudden we see that they have an anointing, and maybe we're not walking in our anointing, but we'd love to be attached to their anointing. So we say, hey, how about I get my armor in on this story? And we're starting to attach ourselves to it. Um, there is a call for discernment. I, I, I really didn't want to go here this morning, but I'm going to. The the issue that exploded last week with, um, I won't even name his name, but a prominent California theologian um, basically uh, deriding Beth Moore and telling her, in, in essence, he just said, go home. In other words, stop preaching. Stop advancing the gospel. Stop calling people deeper into their walks with Jesus. Stop that preaching and go home. And you know what he meant by that, right? He meant, go home to the kitchen. Go home to the bedroom. Get your broom, put up your Bible. That's inferred in all of that stuff. And I've been amazed this week to watch how that backfired on that man. I would have to say I've had to repent twice because I've enjoyed how it backfired on that man. I have. I've had to repent twice. I'll have to repent after saying it here this morning. But I'm just going to tell you, sometimes when somebody insists on Saul's armor, that man's armor being placed on Beth Moore, Beth Moore just says, honey, that don't fit me. You just go back to your study in your little armor and you fight with all the evangelicals. I'm going to go take on the devil. Be careful who you're saddling with Saul's armor. I talked to a brother this week. And uh, he carries an incredible anointing, an anointing at times that just leaves me hungry for a greater anointing on my own life. And I told him we were talking about seminary, and I, I just looked at him. I said, don't go to seminary. I said, don't go to seminary. 
I see more guys go to seminary and lose the anointing that you've got right now and they go and they lose it. I've, I never see anybody come out of seminary with a greater anointing. They have greater knowledge. They have greater armor. They've got greater equipping, but I've never met anybody that came out of seminary. And by the way, I have a seminary degree, and let me tell you what it adds to my life. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Why? Because if you don't have an anointing, a degree is Saul's armor. And if you've got an anointing, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, but you don't have to spend four years in a cemetery, I mean in seminary, to go and get extra. So David said, I can't put these on. So let's just go a little bit further. Thank you, I appreciate that. You read my mind, brother. You read my mind, sister. I thought Jeff Tullis is sharpening in his discernment right now. You know what it was? My wife knew I was thirsty. She tells Jeff, and Jeff comes up here. That's what happened? Yeah. David also raises the shield of faith. Let's get to him and Goliath. I love this. I just love this. So he's going out there basically, as far as military battle is concerned, he's going out there unprotected. He doesn't have anything. Goliath is nine and a half feet tall, covered from head to toe with armor, carrying a javelin on his back and a sword on his hip. Plus, he's got an average-sized man standing in front of him as a shield. So Goliath's wingspan is probably about 18 feet. I mean, he's, he's massive. And David's going out there in his jogging pants, his, you know, Birkenstock sandals, and, and his little man bag. And he's got a little pouch. He's got five rocks and a sling in it. It's like everybody that relies on reason and strategy and logic and human strength would have said, watch, he's going to get crushed like a bug out there. I guarantee you, David was the only one not worried. And so here's the scene. As David has to raise the shield of faith, we see something that's true in David's life and true in yours. The enemy always has something to say. This is what it looks like in David's life. The Philistine moved forward and came near to David. So David's walking out. David's actually approaching Goliath, and Goliath starts moving towards David. And verse 42 says, The Philistine looked and saw David. He disdained him. That means he was insulted. For David was but a youth. He was ruddy and handsome in appearance. The, the image is this. David was a little pretty boy. He didn't even have a man jaw yet. He was just a cute little kid. So cute. And in verse 43, the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? So David's got his shepherd's staff, his stick, and he's got his little pouch. And Goliath's like, are you serious? And, and he goes and he says this, um, verse 44, the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beast of the field. Now, let's put ourselves in David's Birkenstocks for a second. That's some scary stuff. Nine and a half foot tall Goliath, covered in armor, screaming at the top of his lungs that he is going to destroy David and give David's flesh to be food for the vultures and the beast of the field before the day goes down. That's the way the enemy works. The enemy traffics in intimidation and accusation. That's what he does. 
I don't know how he does it. When I get to heaven, I cannot wait because we'll have glorified minds and we'll be able to look back and understand exactly how it was that Satan and his demons could influence our thinking, whisper in our ear. I don't know how it all works, but it's very clear that he's an accuser and he's a liar and everything he strategizes is rooted in accusation, intimidation, and lies. That's all he tells you. And thank God for what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He said, the Lord doesn't give you a spirit of fear. So if I'm walking around in a regular spirit of fear, I have the biblical grounding, foundation to say, that's not, uh, that's not the, the Lord trying to cause me to live in fear. That is either my flesh or it is the devil intimidating me. And so Goliath is roaring. He is screaming at David, and he's given all these insults and these mockeries. By the way, there were blasphemies that are mixed in there, and now threats. I, sometimes your, your strength is also your Achilles heel. By God's grace, through all the years that I spent abusing my mind with drugs and alcohol and all of those things, Somehow, when I was redeemed, God restored my mental faculties. I was able to keep a pretty healthy mind. But what's amazing is, whereas that can be a strength in the gospel, it's what the enemy goes after all the time. And some of you are in that same boat. And what you hear all the time is accusation and intimidation and insults. And, and you're constantly hearing what you're not and why you're not. And the reason, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to empower you here, the reason you're hearing that so much is because the enemy is working overtime understanding that if you ever really get breakthrough on it, he is doomed through your life. That you, he won't be able to limit you. He won't be able to regulate you. He'll never be able to get you to second guess what God has told you not to guess at all. And so this is what Goliath is doing. As David's walking up there, Goliath is pouring it on thick. But look at what David does. David does what we all need to do when the chatter is going on in our head. David redirects the conversation to God. David doesn't say, oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into? Sorry, Goliath, I didn't realize you were so big. What am I doing? Let me go get Saul's armor. I'll be back in a minute. David just, I love this. He's, he's 16 years old. Listen to this. Can I, can I just say it, the theatrical? You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, ha! but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will deliver you, Goliath, into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines today to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Come on, somebody. kidding me come on now watch this this is something i never saw until last week i've i've read this i've preached this probably half dozen times in my life and i never realized how pinpoint accurate prophetic this statement was from david i always read it like david's just like oh yeah i heard what you know they're just talking smack or something like that david's prophesying he literally says, let me tell you what's about to happen to you. I am going to knock you down. 
and I am going to cut off your head, and then we're going to come after all of the soldiers of the Philistines, and they're going to die too. Now, here's what's interesting. David didn't have a sword, and yet he looked at Goliath, and he says, I'm, I'm going to be cutting off your head here in a few minutes. David knew exactly what God was going to do. His convictions married to his commitments brought a prophetic clarity in that moment. I believe with all my heart he actually saw it happen before it happened because everything that came out of his mouth manifested here shortly. What's amazing is Goliath had said, here's what I'm going to do to you, David. I'm going to feed you to the vultures and whatever is left is going to go to the wild beasts of the field. And David just says, oh, you know what, I think your prophetic discernment is a little backwards because somebody is going to die and somebody is going to become vulture food and somebody is going to get eaten up by the beast of the field, but it's not me, it's you. Amen. He took Goliath's own words and just shot blocked him right back in his face. I love that, man. I mean, it's just, I, you know, I'm just assuming that we get to meet all of these people when we get to glory. And I'm going to meet Jesus, hallelujah, I'd like to stay there for the first three billion years, just staying at the feet of Jesus. But there may come a time where somebody else needs some time with him, and I'm just going to say, thank you, Jesus, for these three billion years. I'll be back. Can you tell me where David is? Because <laughs> I want to sit down with David, and I want to just say, download that scene to me. Friends, what will happen if Christians... Listen, it's easy in here. This is the easiest place. This, this, it's so easy for me to be full of hope and confidence and valor and, and feeling the anointing in here. But the test is not in here. There's not a whole lot of opposition in here. The test is when we leave these doors and there in the parking lot is Goliath. That's where we have to retain what David is putting on display. And so in verse 47, here's why David won. Verse 47 is why David killed Goliath, why he was able. David says, here's what my motivation is, Goliath. I'm about to take you out. Why? So that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with a sword and not with a spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. This is where David becomes the preeminent leader in Israel. Because when he says that all this assembly, he's not just talking about the Philistines. He's saying all of this assembly, he's talking about all those soldiers on the hillside beside him. David is literally saying here, nobody here, both the foes and the ones that are supposed to be faithful, nobody here is acknowledging that this is not how God wins his battles with human instruments and Saul's armor. I'm amplifying here. That's not how God takes care of business. And the whole assembly is going to learn something today that God doesn't need your spear. He doesn't need your armor. He doesn't need your, your javelin. He doesn't need anything from you. The battle belongs to him. All he's been waiting for for a month and 10 days is one person to step out and believe he's the God. God, who he says he is. And David says, and I'm going to be that guy today. You see, David knew that when he beat Goliath, all of the glory would go to God. None of the glory would go to Saul because Saul wasn't out there fighting. None of the glory would go to Saul's armor because David refused to wear it. None of the army would go to Abinadab and Shammah and David's brothers. None of the glory would go to them because they'd been fearful for 40 days, not knowing what to do. So it's one little young unimpressive, cheese-delivering dude who steps up and says, if nobody else will, I will, because God can. 
Some of you need to hear that. If you're young in this house, I mean, it's not just for the young, but I'm telling you, if you're, if you're in your 20s and younger, I just want to tell you, God is looking for a woman. God is looking for a man who will move in the unalloyed, that just means uncontaminated, simplicity of trust and faith and start to see if he will really do what he says he will do. To see if he will not give you souls on the back end of your testimony that you release. To see if there won't be healings when you lay your hands on people, having nothing in you and on your own that can bring the deliverance from disease or injury, but you will just lay your hands and say, God will do it. And if you'll operate in a faith like that, there's going to be times where people are going to get saved, they're going to get healed, they're going to get delivered. I know the arguments, well, how come when I did it the last time, nobody got saved or healed or delivered? I don't know. Ask him when you get to heaven, but don't quit on him while you're still on earth. You keep pressing in. And David, he, he laid it all on the line. I think that may be something for us to, to, to recognize. David did not have anything to lean on. Sometimes God wants you with nothing to lean on. I mean, no, nothing. Most of us in the Western Hemisphere, we say, man, I, I got nothing to lean on. You got like $500 in the bank. You got a car. You got your, your rent money. You got, you've, we got plenty to lean on. Rare are those moments in life where the only way you win is if you lay it all on the line. Your testimony, your reputation, your, in the sense of people's approval of what your family thinks of you, I believe that God is calling up some young men and some young women to love and respect those that have gone on before you, but never be limited by them. What I've prayed over my son and my daughter, and I used to pray it literally with hands on them when they were itty-bitty, I've always prayed, make them greater than their father and mother. Make them greater than their father and mother. I don't want to be my son or my daughter's ceiling. I want them to excel past this. I don't want your generation, young people, to look at our generation as the ceiling. David said, everybody's about to learn that the Lord saves, not with sword and not with spear, but the battle is his. And Goliath, he's about to give all of you into our hands. So let's get to the, I'll, I'll finish up here one day. Um, so here's David wielding the sword of the Spirit. All I want you to do is look at his courage in these verses. It's just courage. His courage was proactive courage. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. Don't miss that. It's so subtle. There's something inside of David that says, God, I cannot wait to do this. Lord, you don't mind if I sprint towards, what's his name? Big UP out there, uncircumcised Philistine. Yeah, you're, you've had to go to, Lord, I'm going to sprint towards him. Goliath is mocking and taunting, and David's locked in. I, I want to encourage some of you, and you just need to weigh this. Just put it before the Lord and see if, it, if it's really from him for you. Some of you are playing defense in a situation that God is calling you to play offense in. You're fighting your battle in reverse, and God's calling you to proactive courage. You've let the enemy dictate the terms of the fight. You've let the opposition 
line up what the field is going to look like. And what you're doing is you're protecting yourself and you're protecting your turf. But what God's calling you to do is come out of that and start taking the turf that you once surrendered to the enemy that he thinks he's entitled to. David ran and said, I'm not going to wait for it to come to me. I'm going after it. I think this is a seasonal word for this house. I think it's seasonal for some in this house in particular that the Lord is saying, stop playing defense. Stop waiting for the enemy to come to you. Send that thing running. Go after it. Say, well, Jeff, I don't know if I'm ready to do that. Well, in the name of Jesus, for his glory, get ready. Do whatever you've got to do. Fast and pray, repent. You're not going to win that battle without holy hands. You're not going to win that battle with, a, with an, a divided heart. So if that's what's holding you back and that's what's gotten you played play defense, don't, don't manage your sin, repent of your sin, and you'll be free to go on the offensive. And it's amazing. God doesn't need you to be superman or superwoman. Woman, he just needs you to be super dependent, to, to, to trust him. He's not set you up to be the doormat upon which the devil wipes his feet. That you are, by virtue of the new birth and your inheritance in Christ, an overcomer. David ran out to meet Goliath in verse 49 and 15. What happens when David operates in courage? Well, it invites God's favor. David put his hand in his back, and he took out a stone. He had five. He'd go home with four of them. He took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. That was likely the only place that wasn't covered on Goliath. And the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell forward. It fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. And then it says, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Now, Goliath's a big old dude, and he went down like big old dudes go down. And he is on his face, but David wanted to finish in courage what he began in courage. By the way, real quick here, be careful not to celebrate prematurely. Make sure that when your opposition goes down, it stays down. And I don't mean this in the carnal sense of fighting humans and being a punk. That's not what I'm advocating here. What I'm talking about is what you begin in courage under the Lord, don't quit until you know you're done with that assignment. And so David has no sword in his hand, but he's already prophesied he's about to take Goliath's head off. So courage invited the favor of God. Now, I want you to just think about it. Yeah, Goliath's a big target, but there's only one spot on his whole body that he can be hit and, and go down. And David just took out the sling. It's not, it's not like one of those. It's more like one of these. And he releases that thing, and that rock, and Goliath's eyes cross shut, and then... Boom, the mighty fall. Now, if I'm in Saul's army and I'm watching that, I'm, I'm probably just jaw-dropping, wondering, did we just see what we saw? I mean, you, you would have thought it would at least take five minutes for Goliath to rip David limb from limb. Goliath never even got one stroke in. Goliath's still running his mouth mid-sentence, and the rock hits him about nine inches above his mouth and lands in his forehead, and it's over. The fight is over. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, we don't win our battles because we're afraid to sling the only stone we've got. And I'm going to tell you something. When you're down to the nitty-gritty, you've got to release in confidence that which God has given you to release and trust God to give you favor with it. David didn't write a song about himself saying, I am an amazing marksman. 
I am awesome in battle. I am glorious. Look at me. All his songs about all his battles were God did this. All I did was make myself available. And so there was no glory for David. And so verse 51, David's going to complete what he began. David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his own sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. Worship team, if y'all come on up, that'd be great. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Mm. That's an old spiritual grunt right there. That's just, mm. love that. David, I mean, just picture the scene. The kid from the youth group, almost it's like that Clint Eastwood whistling from that movie. He goes over there. I made my wife nervous, I'm sorry. <laughs> David goes over there. He's walking, everything's silent, and Goliath's on his face, and David picks up Goliath's sword. It's a little graphic. I don't want to be graphic with it, but he beheads the Philistine. By the way, he toted that head with him for a while. Did you know that? It's kind of gnarly, but he toted the head of Goliath with him, and he cuts off his head, and as soon as all the Philistine soldiers saw that their number one dude just got whooped by the kid in the youth group with a rock, they knew they are in trouble. It's amazing how their gods didn't come through. Don't put more confidence in the gods of our culture than you do in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So intimidated by a corrupt world system, well, what are they going to do if we do this, if we say this, or if we preach this, or if we go here, or we do that? My goodness, are you kidding me? Is that where we are? David went there, and he took off his head, and then this is what's awesome, and this is the last point. Hallelujah. Courage became contagious. The men of Israel and Judah rose up with a shout. They have not shouted in 40 days. But as soon as they see God do something, they rose up with a shout. They pursued the Philistines as far as Gath, the gates of Ekron. The wounded Philistines, prophecy fulfilled, fell on the way from Valdosta. I don't know how to say that word. As far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put the armor, his armor, in his tent. I just love it. You all know how the story ends. But don't forget, it wasn't a story. It's not the cute little Bible story. This really happened. And so all of the men in Israel who hadn't, they hadn't smelled courage in 40 days. All it took was somebody to stand up and say, I, I've had enough in one hour of listening to this uncircumcised Philistine run his mouth. I'm tired of listening to the enemy. I'm going to shut the enemy up. I'm not going to play defense. I'm going to play offense. I'm not going to trust in this false armor. I'm going to trust to be who God has made me to be. I'm going to fight the battles the way he's trained me to fight. It may not look like just she fights. It may not be like he fights, but I'm going to fight the way he's made me to fight, and the Philistines are going down. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Stand to your feet.